changed since I moved to the city. Liddy, let them know that my roots in Mississippi. This is a Pedagogue and D Black Digital Black Lit and Composition Collaboration. It's a podcast mini-series that amplifies Black graduate student pedagogies, practices, writings, and lived experiences. Every episode of this mini-series is a conversation designed to uplift and celebrate Black teachers, scholars, students. Each episode features a new perspective, and each episode highlights the work of Black graduate students and their family line of scholars. You can check out dblack at dblack.org. You can follow dblack on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. D-Black is an online and in-person network of Black-identified graduate students and advanced undergraduate students in fields related to the study of language. I'm your host, Shane Wood. Let's get started. In this episode, I talk with Melanie Davis Sanchez. Known for her selective word choice, even in casual conversation, Melanie Davis Sanchez is a dedicated educator with over 17 years of experience. Melanie holds a bachelor's degree from Louisiana State University, Shreveport, a master's degree from Centenary College of Louisiana, and will complete her MS in English at Texas A&M University Commerce in summer 2021. Melanie resides in Texas with her husband, sons, and pets, Bella, Jordan, and Dexter Morgan. Melanie, thanks so much for joining us. You've been teaching for over 17 years. Do you mind talking more about your story, your history, and your approach to literacy and cultivating a classroom that centers on culture and community? Yes, yes. It's been over 17 years. Um, I started off as as an in-school suspension facilitator, actually. And then after that, uh, I got into elementary education with English language arts and reading. And I did that for uh, writing classes in fourth grade and fifth grade and really making certain that students had a very firm foundation and working at campuses where the students in the community looked like me. That was one of my focal points especially when I was receiving my first master's degree, uh, Centenary College of Louisiana, it was a lot of battles and discussions about, you know, campuses where I would service and the quality of education, as well as the neighborhoods and communities. And my goal as an educator always has been to uh, demystify that myth that, you know, you have scholars everywhere in every neighborhood at every address. As far as my story, my father, he's the youngest of 14 and his parents are share, were sharecroppers. And so out of all of those, uh, my aunts and my uncles, you know, my father being the youngest and just that pronouncement of the, the importance of education for us. And my father would always do that, even though he had limited education, My parents only had a high school diploma once they had a family. And um, me being first generation from the cotton field as well, because my father, along with his siblings, used to pick cotton um, in southern Louisiana when they were growing up. And so both myself and my cousins and siblings were first generation to not have to pick cotton. So education is very important when it comes to those aspects, especially literacy. And um, that's been my goal is to always make certain that uh, literacy and communications and embracing of languages 
is always important because I've had the beautiful opportunity to serve as an English as a second language ESL teacher uh, in both Louisiana and Texas. And learning about different cultures as well as embracing my own culture uh, has really been a standpoint in my instruction as well. I have uh, taught again. I was in elementary education for about 14 years. I won a district honor here in Texas and then moved on to higher education. And what I've seen uh, is that at both of the universities that I've taught is that that same foundation of literacy skills that I've wanted for my students at a young age, uh, a lot of people you know, graduate high school without that kind of foundation. So making certain that they have the tools, they have the mindsets and the support. Like my goal is to always be a cheerleader and a support to make certain that everybody grasps uh, literacy, especially when we talk about you know, how to look into Afrofuturism. And I know that's something that I want to discuss as well, if that's okay. Because with Afrofuturism, uh, one of those ideologies that I embrace is, is how, you know, Black people, especially when you read different texts, it's all about slavery. It talks about, you know, different negatives that happen in our past, and we can never get past that. But really, when we look into our past and we are um, empowered by where we've come from, that's where Afrofuturism comes in to look at the possible and looking at the impossible as possible and embracing our uniqueness and really forging our own path with those skills necessary for you know writing, reading, and being able to speak with one another as well. Do you mind talking more about Afrofuturism and this framework and philosophy for teaching, writing, and maybe what that looks like and what that means for you as a teacher? What are some particular assignments or materials that help you center Afrofuturism in the writing classroom? Uh, great question. Uh, still conducting research. I look at Afrofuturism and hip hop. Both of those are my focal points of research. When we look into different content areas, one of the texts, or some of the texts that I use, uh, Romeo Garcia on the cusps of invisibility is one of those uh, articles that's because it embraces, again, the modality of different languages and the different experiences that come along with it. Also, another text that I use for instruction, and there's so many different ones, um, Malcolm X, Learning to Read, because reading that Malcolm X text to see that while he was in prison, he was able to educate himself by using these tools and learning based on what was needed for him at that time. And that's the goal that for me, whenever I'm teaching about Afrofuturism or even with hip hop, is the, the embrace of self, that identity. And I always share with my scholars that never compromise who you are to have to learn or teach someone something. And that's always been very important for me. So whenever we do, uh, especially being an online instructor, so I'll use uh, a wiki to give students to give responses as well as a visual rhetoric. So they get to use memes and gifs to, you know, pronounce what they think and, you know, how to convey their message on their responses. And I, I push my scholars. I want them to talk about them agreeing or disagreeing if there are questions. It's not about you know, how well you're doing in class. It's about how well are you learning of yourself and reflecting of that. Uh, so literacy instruction, especially with Afrofuturism for me, is more about looking to the future as possible and beautiful and unique, being something where you take the readings and you take your experiences, you synthesize it together and create something new. 
And that's always the goal um, for every assignment that I give. I like how you're talking about exploring the possibles through Afrofuturism. I think what you're doing is analyzing identity and Blackness and also bringing attention to representation and lived experiences. So for example, in some ways, it sounds like you're asking students to reflect on their lived experiences and to think critically about how Blackness is represented and or misrepresented. Is that right? Absolutely right. That's right. So even with hip hop, uh, looking at composition in the 21st century, this last uh, research that I've conducted, looking at hip hop around the world, there's so many different festivals and political stances with the use of hip hop because of the way that the lyrics empower the people, even in despondent situations. We can. Uh, I remember reading about some Syrian refugees that go to Australia and they have to share a, a, like maybe seven people to one room. And the very first thing that they make in their domicile to live in is a studio to give themselves an opportunity to share poetry, to share spoken word, because hip hop genre is one of those genres or really the only one where people are in a situation where it's negative or it's um, deemed to where you won't be able to grow from. However, this is where we thrive. And most blackness uh, is surrounded by the struggle, but how we still rise. Um, I know it's an African proverb, like, you know, uh, black people are just like a rubber ball. The harder you throw them down, the higher we go. And that's exactly how um, my, well, my goal to impart that kind of thinking for everyone. So it's not, you know, I represent my blackness as being one of the only English professors. In 1301, 1302, I am the only black professor. And that representation is so important for everyone to see so that they can definitely make that connection to say that, you know, every teacher, no matter what they look like, has some knowledge, has wisdom. And to see me as a black woman, I have dreadlocks, you know, I, I'm very vocal when it comes to hip hop and Afrofuturistic uh, type discussions. And that supports students to talk about their own, whether it be gender roles. I've had students to come out as being transgender to discuss them, you know, things that they've never been able to talk about with their families, students that are learning English language, you know, they're able to be more vocal because of me not hiding who I am. And I know that as representation matters, also pushing people to represent themselves as we embrace one another. One of my colleagues, uh, he brought up the, the quote, this uh, having global comprehension, being open to globally comprehend everyone, no matter the language um, that, that is given. Can you talk more about your research? What are some of your main goals and aims? To, to have hip hop taught like a classical genre because it's used around the world for empowerment, for political gain, for economic purposes. There's felt festivals in Cuba. You have um, German, German rappers. You have it in Egypt. You even have it in Antarctica. The scholarship is, is coming. And there's so many different things and ways that hip hop culture is used where it's more than just rap music. It's the art. It's the music. It's the... Uh, embracing of one's identity to be so unique. And that's where, you know, you know, rap is a derivation of funk and jazz and all these different genres. And then you have, you know, other genres and, and 
people that mirror hip hop. So looking at it as an analysis, a lot of people can't discern from Shakespeare and a Jay-Z lyric. Like it's all about, you know, looking at that iambic pentameter and really looking at the message of the author. And no matter who the author is, um, everybody has something to share. In my research, you have two different types of rap music or hip hop music. You have conscious rap, then you have this gangster rap. And so with the gangster rap, you know, that's where you have a lot of um, negative connotations where it's, a, it's very uh, loud and it's very colorful and it's uh, very sexualized when we look at the gangster rap. And that's what gets more play. But conscious rap is more about that, you know, methodical thinking of life and, you know, even liberty of being liberated within someone's situation. And that's the balance that rap music can give as a form of entertainment. It can entertain and it can teach. Same with the blues. When you think of Bobby Blue Bland or you think of, you know, all these different greats, uh, John Coltrane as well. And, you know, he, he's he, all of those artists, you know, they they have their own domain. They have their own type of style and have their own message and story to share. And that's the biggest thing where that one person represents so many and we can all learn or even have empathy towards it. And I grew up in uh, Shreveport, Louisiana. We both have can have a commonality with the blues music, especially growing up in the South, right? We see the same things, we can understand the same things, and we can still learn from one another. But imagine us, you and I, Shane, sharing that with somebody in Boston or sharing that with somebody in Chicago, and then they sharing their blues and jazz, or even hip hop from where they're from, and then it becomes this connectedness where we're the, we're different, but we're the same. And I, I love the differences. And that's the push for all of my students and for myself is that I want you to be different because that's how innovation occurs is when we're different, when we think differently, when our imaginations uh, run wild. And then we're able to harness that that power from our imaginations and create something new because, you know, there's nothing new under the, under the sun, what they say. However, uh, we're coming into a time where we live in the future. There's, you know, you can press a button and get food. You can do so much with technology. And so as we continue to push forward the limits of all of this, we all can stay the same by being different and being able to embrace these different things. So old school blues, old school hip hop, you know, that's what's pushing the new school and the connection of it all. Like you have these new artists, especially like Afrofuturistic artists like Janelle Monet. You know, she's one of those where she pushes the limits of what it means to be a pop artist or what it means to be a rapper. She's doing everything in her music videos and even in her lyricism. So it's, you know, it's so dynamic to see how things are becoming blended together. But also that's what's empowering is that I don't have to be one thing. I can be a little bit of everything long as I'm the best me. And that's what, again, what I want for my students is that if you if you like blues, if you like hip hop, love them both, because that's what makes you who you are. So you mentioned being the only black instructor at Texas A&M Commerce teaching English 1301 and 1302. Do you mind talking more about the ways in which your colleagues and students have responded to your identity? Oh yeah, I have. Uh, I, sh I shared this with a colleague before. So uh, when I began my um, this, I'm getting my very second master's. I graduate at the end of May, 
And I'll have my second master's. That's right. I have a master's in education. Now I have a master's of science in English. But really interesting, being an online student, before we got into the Zoom and everything, I uh, typed on a discussion board and a colleague or a classmate befriended me. And she said, oh, you know, you seem really nice. Let's get together and we'll help each other in this research course. So I was all for it. So every Friday, she and I would do a phone conference. We would speak to one another. She would kind of text and email to get assistance with an assignment. And I would do the same. And then at the very end of this first semester, uh, we talked about the methodology assignment. And so for her, her methodology was surrounded by some type of historical relevance from a trip that she had made. And I made the choice to do Afrofuturism. And then the question that came up was, why would you choose Afrofuturism? And then, you know, again, this is on the phone. I was like, well, why wouldn't I? And then this epiphany, she then stated, Melanie, are you African-American? And I said, yes, I am African-American. And then after that conversation, I never heard from her again. And I thought back to think, well, first of all, like, why, you know, you never introduce yourself to say, hello, I'm Melanie, I'm an African-American. But what didn't I, or did I say for her not to think that I was not, or to think that I was, you know, Caucasian or white American? It was just really, you know, uncomfortable when that occurred. And then other times where, you know, my professors are amazing. I have great professors, uh, but in this time of Black Lives Matter and with everything, this political climate, my classmates uh, definitely are learning about this. So when I am in class and I do have to speak about, um, you know, different ideas, like I know I had a, a debate recently about what hip hop is. Like, oh, well, hip hop is nothing more than gangster rap. And I said, well, then rock and roll is nothing more than Marilyn Manson. And they were like, oh, no, that's not true. I said, exactly. We have to think about our resources then, don't we? And what we listen to and that miseducation when it comes to that. Now, just because I may be from a different place or I may look like something, you know, we want to demystify this um, this prejudice. And that's another reason, like I started growing locks about a year ago because I, I want my blackness to stand out for me and for others when they see me. So that they know that when I speak and when I, I'm eloquent, when I when I do speak about any type of topic, you see that I am also representative of who I am as well. So I don't want to hide behind anything. And I embrace everyone, no matter how you wear your hair, no matter where you're from. You know, I want for everyone to share their identity just as I want to be able to share mine. How can the Academy support Black teachers, scholars, and students? That identity, allowing the identity to be supported, for it to be respected. A lot of times, uh, especially with undergrad students, you know, they feel that they can't share a rap song or they can't share, you know, some dynamic that is uh, close to them. Even students with uh, from Spanish culture, they'll say, well, I have a language barrier or I can't do something when really you are a, a gift if you are bilingual and that you have these different cultures and are able to embrace these different things, you know, and then the multilingualism. One of the things that I've definitely talked, uh, discussed with my professors, multilingualism and this transnational idea of being able to blur these boundaries and being able to connect to other people 
um, whether they speak the language or even not. I have a son with autism. And when we talk about nonverbal language and being able to understand and speak, like that's the biggest thing that colleges and universities can do for students like myself and even professors like myself is to embrace the identity and to allow different topics to, to come about and even make it mandatory for everyone to participate. If there's a hip hop forum, if there's a Hispanic forum, then make it mandatory for everyone to participate so that we can embrace everyone and not just make it mandatory to look at, you know, British literature, mandatory to look at those things, but then, oh, well, it's an option for Black history. Nothing should be an option. We should mandatorily look at everyone, uh, everyone's identity and embrace everyone as well. Thanks, Melanie. And thank you, Pedagog listeners and followers, for tuning into this Pedagog and D-Black collaboration. You to love it, turn it up when you in public. I'm my worst critic. You don't feel it, you won't hear. Had you waiting for a minute just to make sure you were spinning. Last song was I, but this time coming with a vengeance. That's my good friend Raph Peters, aka Kazo. He's a Houston-based rapper, and that's his single Liddy. You can check him out on YouTube, youtube.com backslash Kazo Music. That's K-Z-O-E Music.